Hi everyone, this is Garrett Marquis, Global Head of External Communications here at BNY Mellon. Welcome back for another episode of our BNY Mellon Perspectives podcast. Earlier this year, BNY Mellon announced a collaboration with the World Economic Forum, which is widely considered to be the world's premier convener of financial institutions and stakeholders. While the annual meeting doesn't take place until January in Davos, Switzerland, our collaboration goes far beyond the conference itself. Through our collaboration, BNY Mellon has launched a multi-stakeholder initiative aimed at defining and helping to shape the future of capital markets. With the financial industry changing rapidly, this initiative comes at an opportune moment, bringing global leaders together under the leadership of our Chief Growth Officer, Akash Shah, and the Forum's Head of Financial and Monetary Systems Initiative, Matthew Blake. Today's discussion brings Akash and Matthew together to discuss some of the trends they're seeing through the initiative with their own Feng Feng Jen moderating. Feng Feng is an Asia-Pacific chair and head of our asset servicing and digital in the region. So she's got a sharp sense of how technology and digital innovation are having an impact on the financial ecosystem. In today's conversation, Akash, Matthew, and Feng Feng discuss how global capital markets have transformed in the near and short terms and how COVID-19 helped accelerate that transformation. They focus on democratization of markets, a trend we are seeing throughout the growing volume of retail traders, intense focus on blockchain and digital assets, and opportunities in private markets. They also make predictions for the future and discuss how the public and private sectors will have to work together and set new guardrails. The future of capital markets is a massive topic and our initiative with WEF will continue to delve deeper and deeper. But today's conversation is an excellent primer. For those interested, please enjoy. And as always, please listen, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. See you at the next episode. Akasha Matthew, I'm very excited to help lead this conversation on a very important topic, the future of capital markets. So I, before we start, I would like to, each of you to give us a brief overview about your background and how your background experience afford you a unique vantage point to the topic. So Akasha, I'll start with you. Well, thank you, Feng Feng, for also hosting today. Um, and it's so exciting to work in partnership with the World Economic Forum and particularly Matthew. So thank you for your sponsorship uh, of the relationship between BNY Mellon and uh, WEF. Um, by way of background, I am privileged to be the Chief Growth Officer of BNY Mellon. And that is a privilege on multiple fronts, but maybe the best responsibility of it is um, I get to work with a number of colleagues around the world thinking about what the future of capital markets look like from the perspective of a capital markets institution, which is BNY Mellon. And that's thinking across how are the, how is market structure changing? What do clients need today? What will they need in the future? And then thinking most importantly about how do we change an ecosystem towards that future? And that's a special responsibility and, and privilege. That's great. What about you, Matthew? I really uh, want to echo um, Akasha's thanks. And it's a privilege to be here with you. And from the World Economic Forum, uh, we value so much the, the partnership with BNY Mellon. And really excited about getting this body of work uh, off the ground and running. Um, I've had the privilege of working at the World Economic Forum for almost a decade. It will be a decade in January. And I've worn different hats here. Today I run, I oversee the platform on the future of financial and monetary systems, which is essentially our 
galvanizing force for engagement with the financial services sector. Um, we have over 200 partners, private sector partners, that work with us on this platform, and a number of relationships with international organizations, central banks, universities, and members of civil society. And when you aggregate all of that together, it's a, a really powerful network uh, approaching 300 constituents and entities. So I think, um, you know, really in terms of looking at seminal changes as it relates to capital markets and the future thereof, we're able to leverage and tap into that network in a very powerful manner. And I think it will um, yield some really interesting perspectives, uh, global perspectives on this important topic. So again, privileged to be here with you and really looking forward to this podcast. Thank you, Matthew. Now, Akasha, Matthew, both of you mentioned about the partnership between our two organizations, BNY Mellon and the World Economic Forums. Um, can you articulate what this partnership, obviously you mentioned about, you know, leading the initiative to define the future of the capital markets. Can you articulate, maybe Akasha, I'll turn it over to you, uh, what this partnership will look like and what goals we're trying to achieve here? Well, thank you, Feng Feng. You know, it, it stems from a common foundational view, which is we're an economy and society that's undergoing through perhaps a once in a generation transition. And the choices we make today um, across all of the stakeholders, public and private, non-governmental, um, the financial industry itself are gonna have consequences perhaps for decades to come. And so we're going to use this, as Matthew put it, seminal moment to challenge fundamental questions about how our industry works today. And the particular lens we think is particularly important is the lens of fairness, trust, and ultimately, what's the voice that each constituency gets to have in how our financial system works? We brought together a number of stakeholders across all of those dimensions uh, we've mentioned. And we are looking at those foundational questions and really challenging ourselves about our own role. Because it's a role that on one hand helps facilitate the global economy. But on the other hand, today is coming under real scrutiny about how inclusive ultimately we are. And I think that's the ultimate uh, question that we want to answer. How do we build a more fair, transparent, and ultimately more beneficial capital markets industry? So we're at an inflection point. Lots of changes happening once in a lifetime. And it's important for us to understand how those foundational changes are going to shape our ecosystem uh, of the capital markets and then what role we should play to drive more inclusive uh, financial system. Uh, Matthew, I know you and Akash has co-authored a article about, um, you know, some of the observations and predictions about the future of capital markets. And I also know this team has done a, a roundtable. Would you like to give us a quick rundown of what was discussed and some of the highlights from the prior discussion? Absolutely. I mean, it was, um, so first, when you think of, take a step back, and you um, reiterate uh, the, the overarching theme here, the future of capital markets, um, the immediate reaction is, wow, that's, uh, that's a lot to cover. 
Um, and so in our first interaction, um, certainly we as a team put our heads together and tried to dimension and scope how to uh, tackle this topic. And, um, you know, there were a few core facets, I would say, to, to how we went into the discussion initially. Um, obviously, new technologies are opening up uh, a whole range of opportunities for, for stakeholders, uh, individual investors, professional investors, and institutions alike. So the technological angle and perspective is, is really, uh, really important. The second piece is, um, and I think really our starting point, and Akash can go into more detail on this, you know, is this notion of democratization of markets. So how, you know, again, reflecting back to technology as a catalytic input into the system, how are individuals interacting with the financial system? What are the implications of that interaction? And how does the ecosystem sort of uh, work through that? Because we have seen a bit of a shift. If you look at uh, many metrics, but specifically like just volumes, um, we've seen the influence of individual investors really increase substantially during the COVID period. Um, there were other components of the discussion too that were really rich. And I think um, just back to the, just the substantial nature of this topic, like we have to do it justice, but also we have to break it into pieces uh, in order to tackle it appropriately. Um, we, we down the line, I would imagine, would also look at things like data strategy and governance as it relates to uh, capital markets. Um, there's a really interesting reflection around sort of the evolution of DeFi um, and what it means for the system. And certainly the topic of sustainability, which at the forum and also at BNY like is an area where we're super engaged, also came up. Um, so really the trick here is about sequencing the work in a way that's manageable and where we have impact. That's really the essence of the first discussion we had. Um, maybe one last reflection there, just really um, a, a really diverse group of actors, uh, different types of business models reflected, um, which is exactly what we want. And I think we have more work to do on building out a coalition here, but um, nonetheless, it was a great start. That's great, Matthew. Thank you. That's a pretty broad scope of topic. Why don't we tackle some of the critical ones you just covered? Democratization of the capital markets. We all recall uh, the GameStop retail trading. GameStop, we recognize that um, retail trading in the U.S. market reached up to 23% of the total daily trading volume. That's a huge number and then twofold from, from about a decade ago. Uh, obviously, technology plays a role. And social media plays a role, information availability plays a role to that democratization. Akash, uh, what is your view as you see this trend emerging? Is that secular or temporary? It's just people have nothing to do during COVID and they trade, right? Once life goes back to normal, you know, life goes back to normal. Is that secular? Number two, what are the benefits and potential risk, you know, that the financial industry need to be aware and manage and mitigate. Well, Fang Fang, I, I always hesitate to um, hold the crystal ball, but I'm going to try here, um, which is at its heart, I think we are a society that is increasingly demanding the ability to shape one's own personal future. And that is a global trend, regardless of the cultural or governmental context. What is remarkable is more people want to shape their future directly. And for many years, if you think about it, we have $150 billion, trillion dollar global GDP approximately. 
We have a $6 trillion a year financial intermediary industry. So that $6 trillion helps $150 trillion grow. But now, the people who actually ultimately hold and control that wealth, by the way, that's hugely inequitable to begin with, are saying, actually, we want to directly know where our future is going. And one of the lenses, actually, that's giving rise and accelerant to this is the importance of sustainability and the impact of climate change. People know that they're investing for the future, and they want to know that they're investing towards a more positive and healthy future. And as a result, it's one strand of people wanting to take agency to shape those decisions on their own, rather than, frankly, trusting intermediaries that they for generations have. And this comes back to the central question of, is the rise of the individual investor, how much of it is in part because they no longer trust the institution that historically managed their wealth. And as a result, we as those intermediaries have to one, acknowledge their rise and their choices and their demands, but also do what we can to restore that trust so that we can continue to play a healthy and contributive role to the financial system. So Akash, we talk about you know zero commission trading platform, social media, but these are only the enablers. What you're saying is the under, undercurrent, underlying trend is people in is this ideology and is, for lack of better word, social movement, people increasingly looking to shape their financial future that's reflected in their investment style, how they invest, and uh, the sustainably reflect their ideology in their, in their investing. So even though you didn't say, this sounds to me um, very secular rather than um, a temporary phenomenon. Madge, I'll turn it over to you. What, what do you think? What do you see the benefits? Uh, what does that mean with the changing needs of consumers? Uh, how does that impact on the future of capital markets and, mm -hmm. and the players in it? Yeah, you know, I think I, I agree with uh, much of what Akash has mentioned. I, I do think it is, um, we're into a secular change here. And I think it's, I think it's tremendous. I think it's, uh, it's really, um, if we can get people involved in markets in a more distributed manner, not just the elite, not just the wealthy, but really across the board. Take the United States uh, capital markets as an example. They've been an amazing engine for wealth creation over time. You know, designed in the right way, the fundamentally markets are about the efficient allocation of capital. They don't always get it right, but let's say over an extended period of time, they generally get it right. So how do you tap into that powerful mechanism if you are just a normal person? And how do you build toward goals? You know, be it putting a, a down payment on a house, one's uh, higher education, retirement, you know, you name it. And I think, you know, for too long markets have, have not been inclusive. So I think overall, this is, um, it's an amazing development. You know, we heard some of the GDP figures uh, earlier. I, I was looking at a, a BCG report, um, I believe, that had you know global wealth at somewhere around 240 trillion. 
I mean, it's we're talking about very big numbers here. But again, you know, allowing for access and participation is is fundamental. Um, it's not without risk. I mean, let's let's be real, right? Uh, and I think Finfang, what you had mentioned around the the philosophy that an investor brings to the table is often a determinant of success. And what I mean by success here is like one meets their goal, right? Be it the down payment or whatever that may be over a reasonable time frame. Um, people may choose to be strategic in that regard, or they may choose to be very short term and have more of a trading philosophy. I don't know that one uh, should prevent or overweight one strategy versus the other. I wouldn't advocate that, but I think there are there are uh, pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages um, to all of the above. So to the extent that people feel compelled and empowered to engage in markets is terrific. At the same time, I think it's incumbent on those that allow for that access to ensure that individuals are in full understanding of the upsides and downside associated with the approach that they take. And there, I think there's probably a lot of room for improvement. So um, just to sum it up, I mean, overall, I think it's an amazing development. Um, I, you know, one last piece here, we have been working through a, a market that's been going up, right? And so one of the toughest things as we've all invested over time is like when that market starts to go down, you know, what does that mean for the trend? So that's, we will see, not everything goes up. It's just uh, it's against the laws of history, it doesn't go up forever. So we'll see what happens there. But overall, amazing that there's access. I think the uh, caveat is that people are uh, understanding of the risks um, involved. So absolutely, um, providing choices to create more inclusive, uh, greater access to financial uh, to, to, the, to the retail or mass uh, customers. But on the other hand, it sounds like uh, education, financial education becomes very important. So people understand, come, come with the choice. Uh, they also have to be mindful what they do and then the consequences they may have to encounter. Um, so Akash, turn it over to you. Um, the second topic Matt uh, highlighted is about data and digitization technology and how technology has been transforming how we do business in the capital markets. Uh, everybody's demanding faster and better and a massive data in order to support their, their investment management, in order to support how they service their clients. At the same time, clearly, with the digitization and obviously the acceleration enabled by the COVID-19, um, you know, the attack surface becomes much bigger and broader. Uh, cybersecurity clearly comes to the mind to every financial organizations. What is your view on how we, as a, as a important financial ecosystem player like BNY Mellon, how do we think about prioritizing and uh, in cybersecurity and uh, protecting customer data? You know, the the image that always um, strikes me is anytime you ask someone to draw what their vision of a bank is, it's the you know, uh, Greek pillars and sort of it inevitably looks like a fortress. And we know more than 
anyone that actually what a bank really is, is ones and zeros on a global technology platform, truly in most cases sitting in a cloud somewhere or everywhere. And I think as a result, we have to take the same sort of you know, in imagination we have towards what a physical fortress looks like and how we would protect something and apply it to the digital age. And part of that comes from making real investments and spending the money on, uh, on the kinds of technologies and expertise that's going to protect the banking system and the financial system more broadly. But the second is increasing the awareness. You, you know, Fang Fang, you said it best. It's about education. It's about education as a consumer of how you protect yourself, education as an employee of a financial uh, institution. And more broadly, it's, uh, I think, an important role where policymakers can shape how these protections are made both from the industry and also onto the industry from state actors and others. But thankfully, I actually was hoping to turn one part of your question back to you, which is you talk about the enormous scale of digitization that's happening in financial services. And one of the reflections that um, our stakeholder group had in our first session was um, how so much of that innovation is actually happening outside of the traditional largest capital market center. You sit in a part of the world where financial innovation is being done at a scale that's almost um, unimaginable, hundreds of millions of users of super apps, of digital tools, digital banking, and really the power being held in a phone and coming through a variety of parts of the banking system coming together. I'm curious, what are you seeing and how do you see that continuing and that trend continuing uh, from the clients and markets you're closest to? Thank you for the question. Yeah, the last 10 years or so, We've seen tremendous innovation happening in China, especially when it comes to, you mentioned about super apps, where they create a, a, a platform, uh, you know, using this network effect, they create everything related to a person, live, live your life, go to work, manage your finances, go to movie, order food, everything is coming on the, uh, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the super application. And the underlying, obviously, is financial, is the payment and then the credit, and then the, you know building on that investment and wealth management. Very much innovation in, in the industry. Um, it provides a tremendous amount of convenience, lower the cost for consumers. Uh, so it's very well received by the consumers. But as you mentioned, as we're looking into digitization, the world uh, regulator need to continue to look at how they how they educate and protect uh, consumers. Some of the applications, you know, in China, for example, in the recent years, regulators started to looking into how you protect consumers' data, right? Number one, data protection, data privacy protection, enforcing some of the rules to be implemented in in some of the innovations. On the other hand, making sure the credit rating, uh, there's a proper capital. Uh, capital reserve in order to ensure the sustainability of the financial system. So it's very interesting. You see this technology innovation going ahead and then regulation continue, catching up, understanding, and then starting to define some of the parameters and the guardrails to ensure while within innovation, there's still, still safe nets. 
safety nets for, for consumers. That's what I've seen uh, more so in the recent year or two. What about you, Matt? I, I say that um, from the perspective of a policymaker, uh, it is a tough job generally, but as it relates to um, being a supervisor or looking at the evolution of a system, you don't wanna get in front of innovation. Innovation yep. is such a powerful force and you wanna let it um, sort of work its way through up to a point, I would imagine. And then as you described very well, you create a perimeter or some parameters around it. But I think that uh, balancing act is one that, um, you know, financial supervisors around the world are confronted with. And it doesn't matter what jurisdiction we refer to, I mean, in one uh, stage or another. Um, and I think Asia has been an amazing example of, um, you know, of how innovation can play out in such a, such a tremendous way. I, I just wanted to come back on the, um, on the cyber risk piece. You know, this is so fundamental. The, the forum has a center for cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. yeah, teed that up. Uh, it's got to be oh, maybe four or five years ago now um, in that ballpark. And, you know, we, we as a team have been working with um, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace on a financial services sector strategy, holistic strategy as it relates to, um, to cyber risk and cybersecurity. And there's a lot in that program, and I won't go into huge detail, but just a couple of things. Um, one, it's not a it's not a matter of uh, if there will be a broad-based cyber attack on the financial system. It's a question only of when. So not if, um, but when. And another key takeaway that I just wanted to share here, um, and it's a, of concern for all, there's a tremendous amount of technical expertise out there to deal with cyber concerns. So with that said, you know, why, why are there existing vulnerabilities? Well, a key challenge is in the coordination between agencies, between institutions, between system actors. You know, there's not a cyber criminal out there that makes a jurisdictional distinction. They are global and they're gonna come at you in a global way. Um, and so the system needs to react and have a global posture. And it's fundamental. Um, I think a, maybe a last reflection is, has the financial system becomes more modularized? So you have, you know, FinTech, other platform businesses, technology companies, much more active uh, than they were certainly a decade or more ago. It's about looking at the value chain and how institutions are interacting with one another and the readiness of an institution. I mean, a large financial institution has tremendous resources to put against this problem. Some of the smaller, more innovative actors, less so. So it again needs to be uh, a cooperation there, a collaboration across the ecosystem to ensure a, a strategic level of preparedness um, and security. That sounds, uh... It's not an if, but a when. That's a, that's a very striking conclusion. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, you talk about the, the, the coordination among the financial system. It's critical 
to address this concern as the, in, in, the, the, the issue is not individual. But Akash, maybe I'll turn it over to you. I know you briefly mentioned about this. As an organization, as a financial institution, um, you know, continue to invest in technology to manage cybersecurity risk. Um, what is your view that uh, the readiness, how this entire industry are ready to manage, uh, you know, clearly every company is investing in this, but are we ready to manage this? You know, I think Feng Feng, the, the one question, I'm sure you feel the same way when you ask a CEO of one of our clients, which is typically another financial services company, about what's the thing that keeps you up at night? And I think the most common refrain is cybersecurity. And it's the real risk of a cyber threat. So one thing I have no question about is how important this is on the agenda of the leaders of the largest financial services companies in the world. But as Matthew pointed out, this is not just about what the financial services industry does. I mean, it's similar to when you turn on the tap um, at home and you take a sip of water, you're trusting on an entire network to preserve the quality of that drinking water. And in the same way for financial services, we're trusting our technology partners, the governments and, and, and uh, state actors who are protecting us uh, more fundamentally, um, we're thinking about, you know, again, individuals taking extra steps to protect themselves in the way that they would in any against any other threat they face in their day-to-day -day life. And as a result, I think while we may be the beating heart of this, part of our role is actually convening those forces and prioritizing them. And that's why the partnership that the World Economic Forum has and the way it's convening around this, particularly around the financial services vertical is so important. I think Matthew, what you pointed out is really also very important that the largest companies, we do have a special role, but also a special ability to invest. And the question is how do we spread that protection, that shield over the entire industry, big or small? And that's gonna be one of the core questions uh, for us. Well put. The, the cybersecurity is a is a systemic challenge and risk. Uh, we're we're all operating in a highly inter interconnected ecosystem, and as a result, the system resiliency really is the key. And that's why this partnership and the forum addressing the um, co coordination uh, will, will be critical in addressing the cybersecurity risk. Uh, may I change the topic uh, to the next one? We talk about uh, decentralized finance, digital assets, uh, cryptocurrency has catched a lot of attention since beginning of this year. And Akash, BNY Mellon, were one of the first banks coming out, launching our digital asset unit back in February. Um, so can you share with us uh, what are some of the target areas that we're experimenting and uh, why, why do we believe this is a very important uh, important uh, sector in the, for the future? You know, we think innovation's at the forefront of our industry, right? And it goes back to ATMs. Why did they come into being and how did they scale? And mobile apps and the super apps we just spoke about. In many ways, we consider DeFi, as it's colloquially known, as the next sort of focus or focal point of innovation. Now, not all innovation sticks, not all innovation is necessarily positive, but 
as Matthew put it, you have to embrace innovation. And the steps we've taken as BNY Mellon is to be at the forefront, to test and understand, to convene, and to ultimately have a vision for how this industry is going to play through. In a nutshell, we think about that world through really three different lenses. First is the rise of cryptocurrencies as a method and store of wealth. It's perhaps going to look like any other asset, physical or otherwise. Then the question is, what part of this industry is going to facilitate payments in a more frictionless and cheaper way? And then finally, there is the innovation around tokenization. How do you create more liquidity, but also more transparency around financial assets and using tokenization as the mechanism to do that? Feng Feng, you've been in this industry and this part of the industry actually uh, in uh, through a variety of lenses. I'm curious, how do you see that world and some of the activities that the bank uh, is leading right now? Thank you for sharing this. Flipping the question back to me, but I, I very much agree with you. Um, uh, when we talk about digital asset, it doesn't stay at crypto. Uh, as you mentioned, crypto reflect a storage of, of wealth. But, you know, I'm more excited about the future of all assets are creating a digital twins. Even we can create a digital identity uh, and every asset could be created uh, on chain to facilitate a better liquidity and more inclusive access for 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 broader, uh, broader uh, consumers and uh, facilitate, given the programmability of the, talk, uh, of, of the computer codes, you can facilitate a lot of actions that are currently being done by intermediary. Now, now they can really manage service, for example, servicing bond, dividend payout using the code to remove, remove uh, some of the intermediary's role from that uh, process. Um, the tokenization of illiquid assets, providing more liquidities. We've seen a lot of uh, non-fungible tokens using non-fungible token to create unique assets, whether it's real estate, whether it's arts, and uh, provide that uh, uh, access to a greater, greater population. So definitely there are a lot of areas uh, that we're looking into as an organization and uh, lots of innovation are happening in, in this space. I personally think the payment is fascinating, especially with uh, the stablecoin or CBDC. Uh, the cross-border payment can be, uh, the cost can be drastically reduced because we're literally using a completely different payment rail. It's point to point. It doesn't come without issues, right? You have to think about the, the netting, uh, the liquidity efficiency as you facilitate the cross-border using point to point delivered to, 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 to payment. Uh, methodology, some of the efficiency will be lost to use um, use a digital, a digital payment, uh, CBDC or stablecoin for payment, that's for sure. But um, the other area I think will be, it's very in the very nascent stage and we'll be watching is what Matt uh, Matthew was referring to on the DeFi, right? Because DeFi, what, what it intends to do is decentralize removal remove some of the intermediary. So it's more than driving efficiency, reduce cost, bring transparency, hence reduce the risk. It's about reconstruct how transactions are being done and being, being managed. So Matthew, maybe I'll turn it over to you to have your view on the DeFi. What do you see, what do you see in DeFi 
future development, is that going to be a threat to the existing players in the in the financial industry? Uh, I think it um, it could be. I don't know that I'm entirely sold on that premise. Um, I guess my bet would be more around um, coexistence. Uh, I think there's real interest in the forum. We have a, a center that looks at what we call a fourth industrial revolution technologies based out in, of course, of all places, San Francisco. <laughs> and we've been um, very active looking at, you know, the crypto space and the DeFi space there. I'd say with a emphasis recently, and we're going to publish in December on this, I have to be careful not to divulge too much, but um, with a specific emphasis on stablecoin and CBDC. I think these uh, are, you know, really interesting, um, really interesting technological advances that can as you were saying earlier, um, really promote cross-border, bring down friction, um, and allow for inclusion inclusion in, in, in different economies. Um, so I'm, I'm very optimistic about that. I think the, the DeFi space more broadly and, and really where we've um, in recent times studied, looking specifically at distributed ledger technologies uh, and the intersection with capital markets, we actually um, put out a piece earlier this year, I think in May, that was the result of close to 200 interviews and probably close to 10 to 12 roundtables. Uh, BNY Mellon was involved in this process, looking at applications of DLT across capital markets, really with like a use case, uh, less theoretical, but a use case practitioner focus. And uh, in an effort to try and uh, move away a bit from the hyperbole uh, associated with the space. And uh, the, the research really garnered some, some very good reviews. I think it showed where there's commercial viability for DLT as it relates to capital markets. Um, you know, it also pointed to where there, you know, under certain circumstances, you can really reap some substantial balance sheet uh, optimization from using the DLT. Uh, similarly, around liquidity um, and even interfacing with, with different clients. Um, you know, so overall, the, the forum as, a, as an institution has always had a concentration on technological innovation. We look at that as part of the industry work that we do, sort of the transformative pieces that are pushing industries uh, in various directions and technology being really sort of a, a structural and consistent um, tailwind to the evolution of, of industries around the world. That makes perfect sense. So Matt and, and Akash, um, Clearly, just based on our conversation, we're at an inflection point. The technology advancement, um, the, 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 the drive, the, the, you know, for lack of a better word, the individual driving their own financial future and you know, based on their ideology, what's important to them is really becoming the undercurrent of a lot of the democratization uh, of capital markets, uh, at least from the retail standpoint. Uh, I've recently read an article uh, talk about we're living in this, you know, obviously all of these are in a very nascent stage. Uh, however, you know, I read an article saying we're living in this uh, age of exponential change, meaning the change will happen and happen a lot faster than what we have experienced in the past. So getting in the forefront to test, to understand, 
and to position and, and, and play a role, it's critically important, which really speaks to the importance of this partnership of leading the initiative and understanding and defining and then position the financial industry for the future of capital markets. So I'll turn it over to each of you. Perhaps each of you could share some of your closing thoughts with our listeners uh, on this very interesting topic of future of capital markets. Akash, I'll turn it over to you. Thank, thank you, Feng Feng. You know, we're embracing this change from a place of optimism that with the enormous amount of focus on the true foundations of this system, with this willingness to really challenge fundamental tenants, and then the level of investment, not just financial, but of expertise, of mindshare, frankly, heart, that we're gonna find not only a better path, but a significantly better path for our industry, but more importantly, for the stakeholders this industry serves. So I think that sense of optimism is incredibly important because they're gonna to be tough choices, non-intuitive uh, opportunities. And some things are frankly gonna be a little scary for all of us. But I think my sense is when organizations like ourselves, the World Economic Forum, the stakeholders it convenes come together on this guiding principle that ultimately we want to do something that builds a more fair and just system. Great things are going to emerge from it. And that's what I'm personally super excited about. And I think we're going to start feeling um, real tangible results to start coming from, from this uh, forum. And uh, I'm excited about all that will follow. Thank you, Akash. Matthew. Now the forum has a many unique attributes um, we are, you know, an international organization by legal statute. Our culture and our sort of organizational ethos is one of neutrality. And so what we try to do is, you know, through a set of platforms, provide a environment for companies to come together with other stakeholders and really focus on the most seminal issues that are affecting their businesses. A common model that we, we really enjoy and we deploy as an institution is entrepreneurialism in the public interest. I think fundamentally we believe that when you, you know, focus on uh, the animal spirits of, of business and you channel that energy, it can be a force of tremendous good. And so it's a matter of lining up those pieces in a way where you can have the most amount of impact. And to bring this back to the future of capital markets, I mean, I think just based on the time that we've spent here together, uh, we could spend much more time discussing uh, many of these topics and more. Um, there's, there's a tremendous opportunity here. And I think to use your exponential um, example earlier, like it's, uh, it's an extraordinary time. And so I think we, we will you know, harness the, the network of the forum, work very closely with our partners, uh, really with an eye toward uh, impact, building trust, reinforcing trust, and also creating a financial system that's more inclusive for people. We have to certainly never lose sight that the financial economy is there in support of the, of the real economy, um, but that those bonds are reinforced and strengthened through the process. So um, sharing the, the enthusiasm here for the work and uh, really excited to, to get that moving. 
Thank you, Matthew. And thank you, Akash, for sharing your insights on this fascinating and incredibly important topic. Thank you. Thank you, Feng Feng. Thank you, Matthew. A real pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Garrett here again. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. As I said at the top, keep listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Most importantly, and if you're willing, leave a review or rating and tell us your feedback. You can find us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, bnymelon.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the next episode.